the Canadian Export Challenge and the Startup Canada Awards are coming to a city near you. Entrepreneurs in Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Montreal, and Fredericton have the opportunity for a full-day entrepreneurial experience. In the morning and afternoon, attend your one-day global accelerator where you will connect to Canada's entire trade, export, and growth ecosystem. Accepted entrepreneurs have the chance to pitch to win $25,000 in cash and up to an additional $100,000 in in-kind scaling support. In the evening, celebrate the winners of the 2019 Startup Canada Awards who are driving innovation and growing the economy in your region. Register for the Canadian Export Challenge at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC and get your tickets to your local award ceremony at startupaward.ca. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Really excited to bring to you something special that I've been working with, and that's a community, a new community where we're engaging online with entrepreneurs from around the planet. And I invite you to join me. All you have to do is go to the link www.headspacefe.com, where amazing conversations are happening with entrepreneurs. This is John Prentice, founder and president at Ample Organics. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, well, this Torontonian is shaking up the tech sector while helping the weed sector. As president and CEO of Ample Organics, a seed-to-sales software solution that gives cannabis growers a way to track everything from plant harvests to inventory, John has created a platform that is used by the majority of Canada's licensed cannabis producers. Ample Organics was built to make complete 
compliance, transparency, and traceability easier and more efficient for the nation's licensed producers and medical patients. Founded in 2014 at his dining room table with his personal savings, I can see all the cash on the table now. John has scaled Ample Organics to become the easiest and efficient cannabis platform that is known as today. That it is known as today. Ample Organics not only connects its users with e-commerce and payment processing, it ensures that sellers are compliant with federal regulations, ensuring a simple and safe platform to grow the cannabis industry. Ample Organics is not only a one-stop shop for those coming into the cannabis business, but it is a great example of a Canadian company at the forefront of innovations. So much so that Ample Organics was recently named one of Deloitte Canada's Fast 50 companies to watch and was just recognized as a LinkedIn top startup of 2018. That's right, I said LinkedIn. In today's podcast, we're going to talk to John about why he chose to build a platform in the cannabis industry and what the future of the cannabis industry means for means for his company. Mr. Prentice, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. Thanks, Rivers. I'm excited to be here. We're really keen on having this conversation. Thank you again, sir. And, uh, you know, we're going to go through about a half an hour or so uh, chat. And what are you hoping that our listeners get throughout this conversation? Oh, good question. You know, for me, um, it's down's a great opportunity to kind of learn through some of the stuff that I, I've been through. Uh, I'd love to sort of talk a right. little bit about where we've been and, and where we're going and what we've learned along the way. Okay, cool. So I want to dive into the the kitchen table, the idea, what was, what was the, you know, the, the light bulb that started you on this journey in the first place? Well, it's a, it's a lengthy story, but I'll, I'll try to, you know, dilute it for you a little bit here. Um, so, <laughs> right it, you know, essentially my story really started back in 2012. I was working at a medical devices company. I uh, wasn't super happy there. Um, and, you know, during my last few months, uh, I'd met a girl and was driving back and forth to Toronto. Um, and on June 22nd of, of 2012, I said enough's enough and I, I quit um, and ultimately moved in uh, with Amy, who is this, this girl I met. Um, yes. Yeah, which, which, which was great. So here I am freeloading on her couch and, uh, you know, they, they, they absolutely love that, let me tell you. Um, yes. <laughs> but, you know, eventually it was probably maybe a week or two of uh, freeloading before she, you know, was really on me about going and finding a job. And of course, that takes a while. So in the interim, I went to work uh, with her brother. And while I was there, uh, a gentleman came and, and said, hey, you know, the federal government's going to let us grow uh, cannabis for medical patients uh, and sell it to them. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, but really, you know, we, we weren't sure if this was real or not. I mean, we'd all heard about MMAR and the fact that, you know, people could grow cannabis for patients, and but it wasn't really like this sort of monetary commercialized business. It was really uh, a means of getting medical cannabis into patients' hands. Uh, so this seemed like a really new take on it. And given that Stephen Harper was our prime minister at the time, it was a little bit weird uh, to be hearing stuff about cannabis uh, <laughs> in 2012. <laughs> you know, looking back on right it, on. it's, you know, <laughs> now that we have Trudeau, you hear it all the time. But uh, yeah, that's right. It's so funny. It is. It? it is. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. they say. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so where was I? Um, Basic. You're talking about your journey with your with Amy's Amy's That's brother. Right. So this this guy comes in and says the federal government's going to let us grow cannabis commercially. Uh, we took a look at the all the application paperwork he brought in, um, and sure enough, it looked pretty legitimate. It had logos on it and stuff. And and I just left a medical devices company, so I knew a little bit about Health Canada stuff and what their documents look like and how to respond to them. Um, so Amy's brother Jeff and I uh, worked on that application uh, over the course of August 2012. 
Ultimately, that was the very first license issued under the MMPR in December of 2012, which was the Peace Naturals uh, project. And I'm not sure if it was uh, announced in December or January 2013, uh, but the, the system didn't even come into effect until April of 2013. So uh, it was really sort of ahead of its time that way. And I learned a lot about uh, what was the government was requiring in terms of tracking and traceability within these facilities as a part of going through that process. So, you know, things like tracking plants and knowing that when a yes. health, Canada inspe health Canada inspector shows up through your door, uh, they're looking not only at the amount of inventory that you have in your facility, but they might want to know when a plant was moved from a vegetative stage to a flowering stage and the exact date on which that happened. So there's some really detailed questions that they could ask, and we wanted to make sure, um, you know, that they, you could have systems in place to cover all of that. And being a trade, is, um, I, I sort of recommended that they go with a typical enterprise resource planning system, you know, a big kind of SAP or Microsoft Dynamics type uh, of solution that would do finance and inventory and all this kind of stuff. And of course, it had lot control, which we thought would be great for traceability. Um, and ultimately, that implementation did not go very well. So, yes. <laughs> what, uh, what, <laughs> this is it. This is it. So, right of passage, um, you know, my friend. What ultimately right ended passage. up working for that organization in the very early phases of its existence was a content management system that was originally built for restaurants uh, that had been hacked and modified uh, to the point where it could track most of the details required. And anything that wasn't being tracked in there was tracked on paper. So it was uh, kind of this Frankenstein sort of system. And what that taught me right. was you know, here are these billion-dollar enterprise software companies with great <laughs> you know, enterprise tools um, that are, you know, can't serve as they don't meet the compliance requirements or the mandate flows uh, that they need to follow by order of the regulator. So I think that's really where we saw the opportunity. And in it took me a little while to sort of ideate on it and let it bubble in my brain. And in 2014, so just an example with two guys at my dining room table, um, and I believe it was August of 2014. Okay, John, so you got your guys at the table. And, you know, when, when you talk about this funding model, I mean, most people go, I need, I need other people's money. You decided to uh, take your personal savings and, uh, and, uh, and focus on investing in yourself in that regard. What was your thought process when you went through that, that whole decision-making? Um, I was, I, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've, I've done numerous entrepreneurial exercises in my life. And I think, uh, for me that, that risk doesn't scare me. And I understand that, getting something started, it's really, really important um, that you bear the cost of that. Um, because I, th I think going out and getting other people's money and, and selling them on a dream and a vision is, is great, but it gives zero evidence on your ability to actually execute on it. And I really wanted to show uh, that at least we were on the right track uh, before yes. I went out and, and tried to convince someone else to part with their hard-earned money uh, to support me. And how long were you in business before you made that 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 uh, that pivot to uh, invite others to take a look as to what you were doing? <laughs> so, other than a, a very small, small, uh, we'll call it a little bit of love money, which was uh, to, to the tune of twenty thousand uh, dollars in nice. in twenty fifteen, uh, we didn't actually end up raising anything uh, substantial until twenty seventeen. Oh, fantastic. So, uh, we, we started out, you know, I think I had about $30,000 in, in my bank account uh, when we started the company. And yeah. uh, I had two, two gentlemen working for me, uh, one I'd worked with previously and the other one who, who was kind of referred. Um, and one was a designer 
designer, one was a programmer. So we, we really put this uh, emphasis on user interface design. And I remember writing their $1,400 paychecks every two weeks. And just like, <laughs> so there was $2,800 every 14 days, you know, just going out, out of the, uh, out of the bank account. So after, you know, 15 times of doing that or actually less, closer to 10, um, yes. you, you're in trouble. <laughs> so yes. luckily, yeah. um, you know, these guys were by that point had seen some forward traction and were committed. And I mean, you know, I think 2014, we didn't miss payroll, but 2015, we definitely missed it a couple times. Um, and then 2016, uh, there was once, and then that was the last time that ever happened. Well, that's uh, so cool. Uh, well, I think, no, and I think it's really important that our listeners understand that, uh, one, that reality and two, what's, you know, what's the emotion that goes through your your head when that needs to happen and we're going to get into uh, we're going to get into your company here in a sec but i think it's important to understand these are issues that all entrepreneurs face and it's the fear of the emotion attached to that so when you missed it a couple of times how did you handle that with your team so the first couple of times because it was just two guys at my table uh it was right. pretty easy you know they they both were really upbeat about it and committed to the project and we're like you know what I, we get it don't worry about it. We'll just keep going. And, and that was easy. Um, you know, the, the, it got harder when you started introducing more people. Um, yes. And so, you know, when you're at seven or eight people and you miss payroll and these, there's some of those people, you know, maybe two or three of them that are really, really relying on you to get paid. Um, yes. That is a really, really horrible place. And it's, yes. it's a heart wrenching, gut dropping, makes you nauseous and want to feel just sick. Uh, yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it happens for days because you see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't go yeah. away. No, it doesn't go away. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, th I think it's those, those deep, dark moments and I'll call it a dark moment. You obviously came through it, but those are the ones that really, really actually become a strong motivating factor for pushing you towards that success. So it doesn't happen again. So, uh, so c congratulations. You made it through that. Um, the cannabis industry is so new. I'm, I'm hanging out in the province of New Brunswick. You know, it's a big, uh, it's a big, um, uh, they call it a strategic business unit here to drive the, the cannabis industry forward. And, you know, I'm always kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm surreal about the whole conversation around, around selling weed, uh, um, publicly, there's no there's no sense of oh this is horrific. It's just it's now becoming part of our fabric. But you were you were a pioneer in that industry. What was it kind of like at the beginning with all that kind of controversy and backlash and all that kind of stuff that was going on? Oh, it was it was a completely different world. So, you know, first of all, uh, in the very 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 early days before anybody really had figured out. Uh, uh, how the system worked. Um, there was a lot of kind of gray market, black market operators applying for licenses. I mean, they were very quickly weeded out by Health Canada due to part of that application. Um, but you never were really sure who you were meeting, uh, which was interesting. So um, now that being said, I, I never had a bad or scary experience, which is great. Um, but I, I have heard about a couple. So uh, I, maybe I narrowly avoided them. Uh, other than that, I would also say that, you know, now, the sophistication level uh, of the groups that you've worked with have changed dramatically. Uh, in the beginning, it was a lot of people that were uh, really, really interested in um, either through their own personal experiencing, providing med medicine to patients, um, or there were some other people who you know saw something bigger on the horizon. Um, and for me, I, I really try, didn't try to look down the road too far. I was really focusing on, um, you know, how do we get the supply chain built to let, you know, these companies do what they want to do, uh, whether it's recreational or, or, or medical. 
So um, when you were, uh, sorry, no, and I want to just reference this point for a quick sec. When, when you were having, going through your journey, and obviously you didn't deal with some, some major stuff, but what do you say to companies that are at the forefront of really, a, you know, a brand new industry being born? How do you, how do you recommend they navigate that journey? Uh, carefully stay legitimate in everything that you're doing right. yeah. <laughs> like that's that's lesson number right. one because i mean it's uh if you can't be compliant in the way you approach the industry you certainly aren't going to be compliant when you're operating in it and we all know it so um it's it's really important that you go through the right channels and follow the rules uh beyond that i mean it's it's a very small industry it's still i mean we have 135 ish licenses uh issued across the country today uh, not in counting retailers just looking at the licensed producers uh, i think there's less than 20 retail stores um open yes. today uh so so, it's, I mean, it's still pretty small. We all know each other. So that's the other thing. Your reputation is going to be very mm-hmm. important. How you interact with your industry colleagues uh, is going to be very important. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more to learn than what people think. Uh, we see a lot of people kind of, you know, show up. They've been baking brownies at home and they think they know how to make edibles. <laughs> and it's like, that's great. Uh, you know how to make brownies. Uh, making at industrial scale and actually ensuring homogeneity of the you know, active ingredients within that brownie and all of the quality standards and everything else that goes along with that uh, is a lot more complicated than just working in your home kitchen. Yeah. So do you find yourself uh, in your role as uh, one of the leaders of your company uh, doing a lot of education in addition to developing relationships? A hundred percent. We have a a full education department here at Ample. So we use it both internally and externally uh, with partners and customers and employees. So... We go through mandatory product training every six weeks. Uh, we want to make sure that their product knowledge is completely up to date at all times and they really know how to use the system. Um, and I mean, that's it's a slow process to get it there, but I mean, it's it's been working. So we're really, really happy with uh, how that's kind of being adopted within our organization. Do you find that you're uh, you're invited to the table at policy uh, decision making or at least, um, you know, uh, um, development uh, by 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 those that are in the regulatory world? Not at all. (laughs) 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 Yeah, all of the uh, all of the love goes to the licensed producers. Um, We're we're kind of left in the dark a little bit. Uh, I mean, Health Canada has gotten tremendously better at at, uh, communicating with us over the last few years. Um, But, you know, it's not like they've sent us the new reporting standard. Uh, months in advance of legalization. I think we got it less than a month in advance. So it's, uh, you know, which is super great because we went from something that was uh, a lot smaller to something that's now over 800 different values uh, track. So it's been a little bit of frustration, but uh, we would love to be involved in those conversations. I think, you know, from the regulator's perspective, I completely get it. Uh, They've maintained this position from the get-go. They don't want to appear conflicted with one Mm -hmm. service provider or another. And I think that to Mm -hmm. give us any sort of uh, insight into what's happening at the regulatory level uh, would just allow us to position ourselves as more compliant and that could be seen as a conflict and I get that yeah yeah, yeah, I, I, and I totally understand. I was more curious whether or not there were some talks over beer or wine in a bar, you know, <laughs> behind the closed doors because of all the, the connection you have and, of course, the experience you have in the uh, the industry. Can you walk us through, John, you know, how your business model works, please? Yeah, sure. So basically, you know, our, we sell and license software. So uh, the software is licensed a subscription Basically, the more users you have in, in your organization, the more that costs. Um, and then we have a whole bunch of ancillary products and services that provide additional value to our clients. 
So, so when you're talking, yeah, when you're uh, when you're uh, engaging with your clients, based on the strictness of the regulations, regulations is is uh, is are your offerings pretty cookie cutter for your clients? Or are you finding that each one kind of has an old, their own individual uh, needs based on their markets? Well, it's a it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Um, and I think it's going to vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So Canada becoming a very mature market quickly. So essentially, the regulations are the regs, and they're fixed in stone, and really just you know the variance of interpretation at the regulator level that, that affect those. Um, yep. But they're pretty consistent. Now, the way each producer wants to position themselves in the market and the suite of tools that they would like to arm themselves with to go out to market um, and how they want to you know, you know uh, tailor that customer experience, that's where a lot of customization really comes in. Uh, we've made our platform highly configurable to sort of meet as many different use cases uh, as possible for things like electronic prescribing, if you're, you know, medically focused, or uh, if you're, you know, credit card processing, if you're doing a lot of e-commerce or, or direct fulfillment, um, for the medical patients. So, you know, you can run those policies directly against an insurance company and, and the patient checks out free of charge. Right. So, so it's important for our audience to know that, uh, that your company existed before quote unquote, the, the, I'll call it the, uh, the B to C retail environment, uh, became available. How has the legalization of marijuana, uh, impacted your business since that's happened, uh, in October? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, <laughs> in some good ways and some bad ways. Um, you know, for us really like, you know, the, the key thing about Ample is we were probably shipped about a million orders to date as of last year. So uh, even right. before legalization really rolled out across the country, uh, we already shipped a million orders of medical cannabis to over 300,000 Canadians across the country. So uh, really kind of knew what we were doing in that regard. Now, uh, when Bill C-44 referred to as legalization, um, it, yes, it definitely changed things. There's the reporting requirements, the regs have changed, uh, things like 30-day limits have changed. Uh, so a lot of the business logic that exists within our platform needed to be changed. Uh, and uh, there's some pretty wholesale changes in there. So that took a little bit of the time. Um, in terms of business uptick, uh, not necessarily. Like for us, you know, it's, it's business as usual. We've still got the, our licensed producer clients that we're working with. Obviously, we're entertaining uh, a lot of new groups that want to come into the market and this whole new category of microculture now. Um, but generally speaking, uh, you know, business as usual with uh, speedballs thrown at it. So I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, John, that New Brunswick and Manitoba are the most aggressive provinces with regards to embracing the uh, the legalization of uh, of marijuana. Are you finding that? Uh, I disagree. I think uh, I think that this is just early days. Uh, they might be aggressive yes. off the line, but I think Ontario is going to come out of the woodwork swinging pretty hard here come April, um, which is which is a scary thought because currently, as you know, we're in a, a pretty massive supply crunch nationwide, uh, and that's not mm-hmm. going to resolve itself anytime soon. Uh, going to be a year, year and a half uh, in best case scenario before it's res- fully resolved and, and we get to the supply demand equilibrium, um, you know, to bring on another <laughs> massive province with many, many retail stores potentially uh, could be could be introduce a whole new uh, demand problem uh, when that happens in the spring. So where you, where's your business? Where's Ample going in the next uh, five years? Do you have a in your crystal ball? And I I, I appreciate it's still early days, even though uh, you've uh, you've been at it for a while. Where's uh, where's where's the industry going in our country? Yeah, so the industry here is going global, uh, and we're going global with them. So a lot of our clients have expanded into places like Colombia or Australia or Germany. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Jamaica right now. 
Uh, we're also slowly evaluating the U.S. You know, if you'd asked me three months ago or four months ago, I would have said not going to happen. Um, but I, I think things are on the verge of changing in that market, and we're uh, we're starting to pay attention down there. Uh, we we just got back from the big MJ Business Convention in Las Vegas, which is a, a trade show that was attended by eighty thousand people, with over fourteen hundred exhibitors on the show floor at the Metro uh, Las Vegas Convention Center. So just yeah, it's it's wow. like CES for cannabis. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, uh, and what'd you learn? What'd you uh, learn when you were cool down there? Stuff. I mean, the U.S. is evolving quickly. There's a lot of new products and services hitting the market. Uh, you're seeing some pretty neat uh, lighting equipment, like, like some LED type stuff coming out, and extraction equipment. Um, and and packaging. Um, that's the other area that I'm seeing a lot of advancement right now. It's uh, it's as we can tell by what we've read in CBC and things. Uh, packaging isn't necessarily hugely popular in the recreational market in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, there's a lot of room for for that to improve. And um, you yourself, what do, what do you what does your day to day look like as the as the president? Well, yeah. So every day, I mean, I get up, I spend a little bit of time in the morning uh, with my son, and he'll be a year in January. So that's so I do between about eight in the morning and, nice, and nice. closer to nine. Uh, and then I try to zip out of the office to make it here for 10, assuming I don't have any uh, meetings because we do service East Coast and West Coast clients. So I like to split my day. Uh, so I'm here later for the West Coast guys and, and you know, for the East Coast guys as well. Um, you know, when I get into the meeting, I, I like to manage by walking around, uh, which is, is kind of what I do for about the first hour that I get here. Just go around and, and find those key on things that, uh, that I want to pay really close attention to. Uh, I track them down. I pull them into room conversations, coffee, and, and just try to maintain updated on what they're working on. Uh, and then it'll be meetings with stakeholders and partners for most of the day. Pretty dis- pretty disciplined. I wouldn't say disciplined. Uh, my assistant is very disciplined. <laughs> I leave the needle to my wife, Amy, when uh, for the weekends because I can't, uh, I can't pay attention to two things. Ah, Amy came back into the. So this was was this Coach Amy? Uh, this this was this was Coach Amy. So uh, we're married. Uh, Liam's our son, and uh, and things are things are great. She's uh, now come into Ample and works our director of communications here. Oh, that's a cool story. All right on, Amy. Good for you. Yeah, you held on. <laughs> that's brilliant. So uh, let's talk a bit about that for a second. Uh, you know, I'm always interested in spouses being a part of uh, you know uh, the, the the professional side and the personal side. How do you how do you balance that uh, that part of your relationship? Oh, it's hard. Um, you know, if you have kids, it's it's a lot easier. I mean, you can go to work together and you come home together um, and you spend your days together and that's great. Um, and of course, you know, Amy and I were, I don't know, you see those couples that are always like texting each other or phoning each other. Um, Amy and I have never been those. We both had jobs that were pretty demanding before she assist in the book publishing world, um, with some pretty high profile clients. And I was in enterprise IT. So, I mean, both of us are pretty, pretty focused and diligent. Um, so, you know, usually we reserved our conversations until the end of the day. Um, and you just have to maintain that, you know, your home time is your home time. Um, being, you know, the CEO of a company and having your wife at a, at a director level uh, can be challenging. Um, you know, she's not going to uh, respect your authority. <laughs> uh, and she, she's, yes. Yeah. Probably not going to listen to you. And she, and she knows your shenanigans. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Um, and, you know, if you can handle it professionally and you can and you can keep, um, you know, your life out of it uh, and work together as people, it can, it can be a great thing. And, and that's what Amy and I have very successfully done and uh, super happy with that. That's great. So how big is your team right now, John? Uh, we're just over 100. So we're somewhere around up between 105 and 110 now. But we had, I think, three more start this morning. So I'm not sure what the exact count is. That's brilliant, dude. Um, so uh, if Amy was on the call with us right now, what would she say is your best leadership quality? Uh, oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, probably, let me think here. Holy jumping. That's a tough one. 
And by the way, it's not a skill testing question. Uh, so it's you know, okay I, if you get it wrong. may not agree with me uh, in my home life, but my ability to listen. Um, you know, I, I'm really bad at listening when I'm at home, but yes. at work, uh, when I'm hearing about a situation, I, I listen and yes. I try to talk to many stakeholders and form a consensus opinion based on all of the evidence that I'm you know, able to, to gather. So I follow a really rational, logical, regimented decision-making process within my own uh, methodology. Um, and I, I think that's that's probably my largest strength. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, what? How do you? Uh, how, you know, tell us about the culture of uh, of Ample. I really want to be interested in as to one, what is your philosophy or, or strategy around that, and two, how do you implement that on a regular basis? Yeah, we have one simple rule that we set in place very early on in the evolution of our company, which is if they're not smarter than you, you don't hire them. Right. Um, so that was the first thing. So we wanted, we knew right away we were setting the tone to hire hire people who are very engaged uh, and very intelligent and very good at what they do. Um, and that, that was the bar at a, at a bare minimum. And how do you quantify that? I mean, for different positions, obviously, in many different ways. Um, but essentially, you know, we're looking for people that fit culturally from a from, you know, a social and engaging and friendly kind of perspective that are going to, you know, not grind gears on teams and, mm -hmm. and really contribute to the, the central direction of the company. I think being a team player is very, very important. Um, beyond that, I mean, you know, having passion in your ability, not just passion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're practiced at something and you're really, really, really good at it, you become passionate about that thing. And I think uh, when you see that in someone, that's a great evidence that, you know, they're going to, they're going to do a really great job, uh, at whatever they apply themselves to in that field. Your whole, uh, environment I would assume is really embracing AI as you head into, you know, the, the next iteration of your, your growth of your business. How are you, how are you preparing for machine learning? Yeah. So from our perspective, you know, we've partnered with a few organizations where we're looking at the very early days of like, how do we analyze crops and how do we predict and forecast production based on, you know, requirements from the demand side of the business or sales? Um, you know, that's probably where we'll scratch the surface. I mean, the technology could be applied all over the place, but I also think, you know, tech, the tech world has a few great buzzwords, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence is one of them, not to discount its abilities. But I think, um, you know, it gets overused and applied to some very right. weird situations. And yeah. I think we want to make sure that as we apply technologies, we're applying them uh, because they work and they're going to do something that no other technology can, right. not just for the sake of increasing our valuation or drawing attention to ourselves. Besides your uh, your business, where, where do you think the opportunity is in the next couple of years for anybody that's looking at the cannabis industry and, and starting and building a business? Yeah, I think there's massive opportunities on the data, data and analytics side of, of cannabis because I think that's an area that's completely underserved right now. Um, you know, whether that's in facility monitoring for different processes or the cultivation side or the manufacturing side, uh, or getting into retail analytics and looking at you know product sell through or patient or customer demographics or customer loyalty programs. Like these are all things that don't exist today. Um, you know, other ways of basically uh, driving sales for these licensed producers is going to you know, if you can apply technology in a way that will do that without breaking the regulations, which is the uh, the, the really hard piece. Yes, of course. Because uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to induce or promote anyone to buy cannabis. Mm -mm. Um, you know, unlike alcohol. <laughs> and, and you must shake your head at that sometimes, you know, this, the, the, the parallels are obviously there, but the permission is totally different. Yeah, have you ever seen that scene of uh, uh, 
of uh, Jean-Luc Picard on, on Star Trek The Next Generation where he just lifts his palm right up to his face at his desk. <laughs> at the total, total face palm kind of moment. No, I've never seen that. Tell me about uh, it. Okay. It, well, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, if you Google face palm, it'll probably be Patrick Stewart with his palm over his face. But okay. uh, that, that is my exact reaction if you want to visualize it every time I see an alcohol ad these yeah, days. I bet. I bet. It's just – it's so over the top. And like what are these guys selling? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it's a drug. Absolutely. 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 And it kills a lot more people than cannabis ever has. And the fact that, you know, we can go out there and we can do that stuff. Sorry. Go ahead. Have you ever heard of a company called Civilized? Yeah, we know Civilized very well. Yeah, yeah, our buddy uh, Derek Radell and his uh, and his wife have done an amazing job building that uh, that, that that brand. I'll call it uh, around uh, the whole uh, cannabis environment. So uh, that's cool. How do you how do you how do you? I mean, I, we talked about how you're helping companies in the industry. How are companies like uh, Civilized or your uh, your producers helping you with your business? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, it, we're we're learning international expansion, these new jurisdictions that they're going into, uh, these media out, uh, are feeding us industry news all the time about what's going on in all of these different places. I mean, if we tried to pay attention to it ourselves, we'd likely go insane, uh, just filtering through all that content to find it. Um, especially <laughs> now it's so noisy talking about cannabis yeah. today versus, you know, three years ago, it used to be a very quiet, uh, easy topic to go and, and find really good information on. And now uh, it's been hyperbolized, you know, with the promotion of public companies and everything else that uh, half of its stock promotion material when you're Googling cannabis or, or industry reports that are completely staggered uh, in one direction or another. Uh, so that that's been a substantial change to digest. So you um, you we, we, we talked about the ability to market uh, cannabis to you know the consumer. How do you market your business to your customers? Yeah, I mean, from so what we do uh, is we offer regulatory support documentation to our customers. So uh, if you're a company wanting to be a micro cultivator or a micro extraction company or a licensed producer, uh, you can call us. Uh, you're not going to be billed anything. Our consultants are going to work with you to help you, uh, A, understand the process from a record keeping and, and software perspective. Uh, they're going to introduce you to everyone else that you're going to need in that process if you haven't met them already. Um, and then we're going to give you all the supporting materials that you're going to insert into your application when you submit it to Health Canada. So we're trying to make that process as simple as possible by giving our customers the tools to succeed uh, and then supporting them out of the gate once they get that license. Love it. Yeah, you look after the people that look after you. They're very, keeping very our cool. lights on. And yeah, uh, yeah so we want to take good care of them. Payroll's a little different for you now, isn't it? Uh, it definitely is. It's a, it's a much more staggering number. Um, yes. It still gives me anxiety every time I think of about it. But, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is what it is. And we're, we're growing quickly. And I, I can't really can't complain with what the future has in store for Apple. Yeah. So why the name Ample? <laughs> so very early for a split second in 2014, <laughs> uh, we thought about opening a licensed facility uh, okay. like a, to be a licensed producer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of those times where we went out, we looked at some real estate, we looked at some equipment, we looked at hiring a team. Uh, we talked to some potential investors, uh, did some floor plans, and ultimately started to look at the business case and realized supply was very limited at that point in time as well, mainly because there was virtually no licensed producers around. I think there were 12 in the country uh, back then. Right. And um, there was no one doing real like organic growing back then. 
So we thought ample meant plentiful. Uh, organics would imply the fact it's organic and plant and you know healthy. Uh, and therefore, those two things going together kind of exactly speaks to the current market conditions that we find ourselves in. And hey, if we didn't like it, we could always change it later, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, here That's we are. Fun. So, And you know, yeah. now we think of ample as you know, ample tools for handling the organic parts of your yeah, of course. Of course. I love the pivot. I love the pivot. Well, that's so cool, man. Well, one is uh, congratulations on your journey, John, and uh, you're a real, uh, real testament to one, being a pioneer, but two, you know, being focused on the necessary things to move forward. And, and one of them is live within the rules that you're given and uh, opportunity exists. Uh, we always talk about breaking rules with regards to products and so on. But ultimately, if you're living in a highly regulatory environment don't muck around with the rules uh that's the rule number one and then the second one is uh, obviously have some fun while you're doing that which you you guys have obviously done with your team and your your journey and uh, with your family and so uh, congratulations on that i uh, i i really admire what you've been doing so what's next for for you personally uh we kind of talked about where ample's gonna be going but what about you and amy and and liam what's uh, what's next with you as a as a family unit as part of ample. Oh, good question, Rivers. I think uh, before I answer it, I'm going to give you a third rule to add to that list because okay. hearing them kind of rhymed back to me, I think was uh, was good. So that third rule is stay focused. Ah. Um, the cannabis industry is like you're surrounded by disco balls of opportunity. They're yes. flashing all around you and you can only do a little bit. So, uh, you know, pick your opportunities well and stick to them and don't give up on them too soon. You know, when we started our first, you know, 2014, we had no customers. 2015, we had four customers, you know, mm. and then 2016, it was, you know, a little bit more. And we didn't really hit our growth curve until like late 2016, early team when the licensing ramped up. So it's, you know, it's okay. It's going to take a while. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. Uh, we've seen- Love it. Yeah. As for what's next for me, uh, hopefully a vacation. I think we've got a cruise nice. coming up in uh, February. So uh, Amy's parents nice. uh, are doing the family cruise thing. So we're going to go do that. Uh, and that, that's that's what I'm looking forward to right now. Brilliant, dude. Well, keep on happening. We're honored to have you as a Canadian entrepreneur and leading the leading being a leader in this uh, this whole new environment. Uh, it, uh, it's been a real pleasure hanging out with you today, John. Oh, thanks, Rivers. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 